Hello, thanks for joining me. This is the Sutter Faction Podcast. I'm Evan Sutter. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and the founder of Hapsley. This talk is called The Seeker and the Controller. A very, very brief history of happiness and how it can make you happier. We spoke last week about Epictetus and his thoughts on how our suffering is born out of a failure to distinguish what is in our control and what is not, and how we confuse our internal world over which we have control with the external world, which we can only influence but not control. And I think the idea I want to talk about today, this thing called happiness, is uniquely suited to playing in both of these places, controlling our internal and influencing our external. And having worked in this space for a little while, I'm well well accustomed to the barrage of responses that usually come with such a word. And it is not always pretty. It's overuse, a wide array of definitions and ideas about what it is, and the over-commercialization and productization of happiness has led to either a very passive approach, one in which we are told we can't influence and definitely not control our own, or a complete disregard for it, a who cares mindset. And I feel I myself have floated between the two. For many years I've played with shifting the focus from happiness to well-being or aliveness because its overuse has dulled its impact. Happiness is boring, generic, mundane. It is more TV commercials and Disney. It is not the greedy, cool thing that Epicurus explored back in ancient Greece that was counterculture and free. When I think of the communities he created, I think of San Francisco in the 60s, of Hate Street, packed with people thinking and living a little bit differently. And of course, everything shifts, evolves. But maybe in taking a look at the past, we can merge it with the present to plant some seeds to think about our lives a little differently. And like all my talks, I hope this doesn't come across as a lecture, but merely a light chat to provoke thought and discussion with the one goal to enrich our lives before we die. So as John O'Donoghue says, we can sit on our deathbeds and say, we didn't sit on the fence and we sucked the marrow out of life. And I think in order to do that, exploring ideas that help us examine how we are actually living this life is imperative. I don't want to add to the definitions, but share some of them with you over the years. Take a look at what the philosophers thought and what science thinks. So we can at least create an outline of it. So as individuals, we can control and influence it more. And that's what I think matters most. Because we are creators, not victims, but creators. We are created by our choices. At this moment, we always have a choice. The trick is knowing what will actually make us happier. Many people say the more you aim at happiness and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. Victor Frankl and Camus for two. And while I love both Man's Search for Meaning and The Stranger, I tend to fall more in line with the work of Matthew Ricard and his views on happiness being a skill, one in which we can actually develop. He wrote, one is not born wise, one becomes it. And this is the same for happiness. One is not born happy. While our genetic makeup account for some of our happiness, some studies say it's around 50%, we become happy the same way we become wise. Through experience, study, learning, dedication, discipline, play, failure, 
exploration, knowing ourselves, practice. Like the Dalai Lama said, happiness is not something ready-made, it comes from your own actions. William James agreed in saying action may not always bring happiness, but there is no happiness without action. In our lives, we, we may come across a few special books or songs that find us at the time when we so desperately need them. And this was the case for me of my first encounter with Mathieu Ricard and his book titled Happiness. I was about a month into my stay in the hut in the forest, about a month coming down from the pleasure trap I was so well entrenched in, a life where I was accustomed to covering up every emotion in something or someone else, filling my time with alcohol, sex, drugs, girls, parties, and lots of it, and a life of chasing after my happiness, or so I fought, in external things, over and over, again and again. And at the same time, Ricard was planting seeds for fort, an elder Vietnamese monk added to this contemplation with a song translated in English as, Hey you, why are you running around in circles? I was running in this type of circle because I thought that life was about always feeling good. But is it? I think it is important to distinguish the idea that happiness or life is about always feeling good. Pleasure or positive emotion is a component of happiness, but not all of it. Just like Bertrand Russell said, success can only be one ingredient in happiness and is too dearly purchased if all the other ingredients have been sacrificed to obtain it. This is the same for pleasure. It is one ingredient and is too great of a cost if it kills everything else. This idea of always feeling good, this running in circles chasing pleasure, the pleasure trap you may call it, came at the detriment of all the other areas of my life. It's what the philosophers call the paradox of hedonism. Those who deliberately seek pleasure rarely find it, except fleetingly. And fleetingly it was. So the circle has to continue. Marcus Aurelius wrote, the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. And the quality of, of your thoughts, like anything of quality, is determined by some sort of effort. So by saying you can't aim at happiness is to say that you can't improve or influence your state of mind. Seneca echoed this with, true happiness is to enjoy the present without anxious dependence upon the future. And this type of peace takes work. It takes skilled craftsmanship. And looking back at my life, had I cultivated any skills that would actually make my life better, happier, and freer? No, no. I had cultivated many other skills, many of which don't actually make my life happier or freer. And it doesn't take much work to look at the skills we've all cultivated in our lives, or been told to cultivate, that probably don't make our lives any happier. They just maybe do the opposite. Socrates compared living without thinking to practicing pottery without any technical know-how. You certainly wouldn't expect a great pot to result. So I think that the far more complicated issue of one's entire life could be undertaken without any deep thought and serious reflection. And why think you can change your thoughts or improve your happiness without practice and some sort of deep examination? But instead, how many times have you heard in movies, on TV, from friends, even at school, you have to find yourself, 
I don't think we find ourselves, I think we create ourselves the same way we create our happiness. When we learn to sit with ourselves for one, we learn so much about ourselves. We connect with our values, our strengths and weaknesses. We really examine our lives and we become less a product of our environment and instead we start creating it. Maybe this is why we learn mindfulness and meditation. To look after the quality of our thoughts like Aurelius professed. And so we can be good gardeners as Thich Nhat Hanh says. Gardeners of our thoughts, minds and our happiness. So we can develop the capacity to see which seeds we need to water, sow or shine light on. Stopping to learn how to cultivate what's important and learning not to shine light on the things that we don't want to grow. Leaving the bad seeds of anger, fear, anxiety, craving and cultivating only our good qualities. These are in our control. All of a sudden, happiness looks less like circumstance and more like effort, action and discipline. Less fleeting emotions that come and go, or a mood, but a state of optimal being. And that's another component in our outline of happiness. One that we are starting to see is in a connected and integrated one. Epicurus considers this component of thought and freedom as key pillars of happiness alongside friendship. True, meaning, meaningful friendships are fundamental to our happiness, he believed. Friends that inspire and improve us. Ones with aligned values and our best interests at heart. We all probably know positive relationships are important. In more recent times, the Harvard study in adult development, which started in 1938, may be the longest study on happiness, and research from the Blue Zones all indicate just how crucial relationships are for our overall happiness. Add that as a component, and it is most definitely something we can target and directly influence. In an epoch where individualism seems to be valued more than the collective, maybe a modern Epicurus would be revolutionary in saying friendship was one of the pillars of happiness. It seems so simple. Spend time with friends. But how? They are all too busy. Maybe now there is nothing so rebellious as spending time with real friends. But what about happiness beyond this lens of philosophers? One of the most integrated definitions comes from the Happiness Research Institute. It defines happiness as three dimensions of well-being. One, cognitive dimension, i.e. overall life satisfaction in terms of attention span, memory, learning, patterns of thinking and acquiring knowledge. Two, the affective dimension, your positive and negative emotions experienced on a daily basis that related to your mood, feelings, attitudes, and free the eudaimonic dimension, purpose and meaning in one's life. And when we look at a scientific theory of happiness, the per PERMA model by Seligman is popular. PERMA stands for P, positive emotion or pleasure. E, engagement. You may think of Csikszentmihalyi's work on flow. R, relationships. We saw that with Epicurus. M, meaning. Epicurus saw this as a pillar of happiness too. And A, accomplishment, a sense of pride and fulfillment. Happiness researcher Paul Dolan, author of Happiness by Design, has his three Ps, pride, pleasure, purpose for happiness. And the work from Blue Zones of Happiness looks at the three strands of happiness, joy, purpose, and satisfaction. My Awake model looks at the four pillars of happiness, exploration, know yourself, meaning, and presence. And that'll be out in book form in 2021. So quickly pulling these ideas together, we can create an outline of what we need as individuals to be happy. 
and outline that we can and should influence for our actions and choices every moment of every day. So number one, I've pulled decent work, command over material resources and a good governance together. Aristotle said the purpose and meaning in one's life is achieved through self-actualization and having meaningful purpose. But it is, it is only obtainable after the basic needs are met. Think Maslow's hierarchy of needs, esteem, belongingness, love, safety, physical survival. And I saw this while working on my education initiative in a disadvantaged community in Colombia. Their thought patterns maybe weren't so important if they didn't have safety and the means to physically survive. I saw that happiness had to go beyond the internal side and had to do with our external world also, which we can't control but certainly can influence, and influence more with a sound internal world. Yes, we need money, of course, but after a certain point, and it's not that high, some studies indicated it's around 75k, it makes little difference, if at all. And you just may find that the amount drops further, the sounder your, your internal world becomes. The more chaotic and out of whack, the more money you may just need to keep that circle turning. Two in the outline, personal freedom of actions. The ability to develop yourself personally and professionally. This is typically where happy countries like Denmark thrive, where there is a big focus on lifelong learning. And our education shouldn't stop when we leave university or when we get a job. When we have people young and old with autonomy, engagement, meaning, who are free thinking and curious, this changes the world. Three in the outline, social trust within the community. This is a huge part of the life of Epicurus, the Harvard study on adult development, and it's a huge part of Danish Huga, where togetherness, common responsibility, community spirit, empowerment, and harmonious shared experiences flourish. And it is not surprising that a country that has happiness somewhat built into their culture will be happier. They're actively learning skills that make their lives happier, not just learning skills that make them richer. Richer in what may be a better question. Four, to cultivate mindfulness and virtue. Improving mental health, behavior showing moral standards. The ability to make the right choice at the right time in the right way. Honesty, trust, responsibility. This is Aurelius and his quality of thoughts mantra and your own work in the garden, as Thich Nhat Hanh says. Five, regular positive emotions a day. Yes, that's pleasure, enjoyment, and stimulation. And six, deep meaning and purpose, that achievement, usefulness, recognition, and fulfillment. And with life expectancy increasing in all countries in the world, a newborn will live more than eight decades in the US. That's nine years longer than their counterparts just half a century ago. It means it's even more important to create meaning. And it comes on the back of all these other things. It is not isolated. If you strive for it head on, you may fail to truly grasp it. And I think Bertrand, Bertrand Russell's words about success or, or achievement or recognition being only one ingredient in happiness, which is too dearly purchased if all the other ingredients have been sacrificed to obtain it, rings true for all of these. If you're out of whack in one area, be it pleasure, purpose, friendship, or mindfulness, well, you are out of whack. Find some physical health and playfulness and creativity, the same playfulness we saw in episode one with Lou, and you're looking very happy. We quickly see that anyone who can listen to this has the conditions to be very happy. And we can easily modify our conditions to allow happiness to flow more easily in our lives. For example, Paul Dolan, he talks about those three Ps, pride, purpose, and pleasure. 
So create a space or room at your home where the free peas can come alive. I did this and noticed a nice little change. My life was too purpose oriented with my work and projects, so I deliberately added pleasure. If your life is too pleasure focused, add some purpose. I added plans, placed all my favorite books in the corner, added new pictures of my nephews and drawings from my nieces. I rolled out my yoga mat, placed candles in the windows and put, it, put out my speaker to listen and dance to music while I cooked and cleaned. That boosted pleasure and I created a space deliberately where the free peas were always present. Pretty simple. Seligman talks about engagement and positive emotions. When I first arrived in San Francisco of no friends and lacking engagement, I started writing a screenplay and actively boosting my positive emotions by actively getting into flow. The same flow you can read about in the work of Cheek Send Me High, which adds, more, adds some more learning and accomplishment at the same time. That's just two quick ideas. There are thousands more. You can use the wisdom from philosophy, science, and your own life to play. Play around with new things this week and to look at things a little bit differently. I put together a course called Happier, packed with creative and fun ideas to spark happiness. You can check that out at evansutter.com and I'll, and I'll drop that to half price for this month. Yes, it is easy to see why happiness is so cloudy. Why people, maybe even yourself, frown a little bit when you hear it. It has no doubt become too mainstream, commercialized, productized. A tool for money and less a tool for individual flourishing as the great philosophers envisioned. But... We can see it as much more than a fleeting feeling or merely a byproduct of something else. And we see, most importantly, that we can directly influence it. And why wouldn't we, when it can make our lives a little better? Even when things go wrong, important skills we can call upon that make our lives richer. Not just the skills that may make us more money, but make us no better off in our relationships, health and thought patterns. Skills that when cultivated, do allow us to sit on our deathbeds or the deathbeds of the people we love and say we sucked the marrow out of life and help them do the same. And that's reason enough. When I first embarked on this journey in the heart, I saw happiness as quite a disconnected thing, a single entity, disregarding it, it, it holistically, not seeing friendship, freedom, quality of thoughts, patterns of thinking, attitudes, and pleasure as pieces or building blocks. And this narrow, small thinking completely limits our ability to create greater happiness in our lives. The myriad of definitions not only dulled my desire to achieve such a lofty thing, well, what we are told is such a lofty thing, but it made any clarity to know what was right or wrong impossible too. Returning home, I wrote a book and started speaking at schools and conferences. I started an environmental campaign and worked on those social initiatives in Colombia and Brazil. Plus, I gave up sex and alcohol for nine months to analyse what really goes on. But that's probably a story for another time. But together, I started to see happiness through this holistic, interconnected lens. As da Vinci said, everything connects with everything else. And I think it is the naive and lazy who think they can't influence their own happiness. I think there is a real beauty and intelligence in those that do, and a really good happy life. Maybe the coolest thing you can do right now as we navigate an uncertain and unpredictable world is learn to be really happy. Not Disney happy, but the Epicurean happy, full of quality thoughts, freedom, friendship, meaning, one that is radical and counterculture, through thinking, curious and bold. The world needs that 
maybe more than anything. So let's put this into practice. Whatever you're doing, just come back to feeling your body. Don't worry about how you can become happier. That can only happen in the present moment. And you are doing that right now. Breathe. Relax into feeling your body. That's it. With each breath, feel a little deeper. Just breathe. Don't let your thinking take you down that road into the future, on the path back into the past. That only adds undue fear, stress, worry, and fatigue. Simply reconnect with your bodies. Bring your attention there. Stop trying to get to the next place or tick off your next objective or curate your own definition of happiness. You are doing that right now. For a couple of minutes, that's all. Building skills, improving skills, creating joy, playing. Breathe. Feel the body. Don't miss a chance to calm, cool, relax. Refocus and replenish. Use feeling your body as an anchor to be more curious, more clear, more engaged, more alive, freer. Breathe and smile to a body that does breathe, that walks, talks, sees, hears, touches, smells, that learns, that is adaptive and intelligent. Breathe to the adventure that you're on now. Smile. It is all an adventure. It is always interesting. Breathe. Thank you. I'm Evan Sutter. Subscribe to Sutter Faction. Give it a rate and review and tell your friends. You can find out more about the course Happier and other things at evansutter.com. But quickly, before I go, I want to share something extra with you. The Dalai Lama said, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. And one exercise around compassion and kindness I learned in the monastery that I use regularly in my everyday life is called watering flowers. Complimenting a colleague or friend, saying something nice about a project they performed well in or an act they carried out. Or just a general thank you for the character they continually display. And I encourage everyone to get out their phone, send that text or email and water that flower. It is simple yet powerful. Good things like, things like Teflon and bad things like Velcro. We are good at seeing our faults, so it is always helpful to have others recognise our goodness and help us grow. It helps both parties grow as doing an act of kindness releases our feel-good chemicals and we get a little helper high, while satisfying our need for connection. We create positive emotions through appreciation and gratitude, which leads to higher functioning people and cultivates increased motivation and higher self-esteem. Water a flower this week. Simple. I'm Evan Sutter. Enjoy.